0: The Lord has baptized me into the concept of kingdom, and I began to finally preach on it uh, last year, and it 's just been transformative to my personal walk with jesus and I, I'm like a lot of y'all. I, you're probably like me in, in some sense. You, you've been going to a Baptist church since nine, nine months before you was born. Anybody in that club? I've been in me some church. I've heard me some sermons and a whole lot of Sunday school. I've even been to seminary, but, but it seemed that uh, there, there was just a concept in Scripture that I had really missed. And when I began to see it, you know, there's, well, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, when men have hammer, everything root right nail. <laughs> And have you ever noticed that sometime when something in the Bible jumps out at you, you begin to see it all through it. And it changes everything like a new frame, a new paradigm, like a new pair of glasses from the Lord, am I right? And that's what this has been for me. It reminds me of the time that the lumberjack heard about this newfangled invention called a chainsaw. So he went down into the salesman's office. He said, I hear you're selling chainsaws. I'm a lumberjack. I'd love to try one out. And the salesman was so excited, he said, man, you're gonna love it. I'm telling you, you'll be able to cut 50 times more trees with hardly an eighth of the effort. You'll love the chainsaw. So he bought one. Came back in two days later, and man, he was some more mad. I'm talking about upset. He throws the chainsaw down on the table. He said, I about killed myself the last two days trying to cut trees with that thing. I've I've never had a harder time cutting trees than with that stupid chainsaw. It ain't working, and I want my money back. Well, the salesman had never had this experience. He's a little bit caught off guard. He's shocked that he's getting this testimonial from this lumberjack. Befuddled, he picks up the chainsaw, begins to turn it around, and grabs the handle, wants to make sure it cranks good. So he. And about that time, the lumberjack said, Hey, wait a minute, what's that noise? And it's like I begin to get into the kingdom and I begin to see things I had not never seen before and hear noises I had never heard before. And, It began to put a new light on so much of the Christian life for me and what God is up to in the earth. Literally, really the only thing he's doing. And I began to see, and I believe this, I believe the Lord wants to get us out of the rowboat Christianity and into speedboat Christianity. A lot of y'all are in rowboat Christianity. You're exhausting yourself trying to live the Christian life, and you're not getting very far. And the first thing you find when God takes you out of the rowboat and puts you in the speedboat is that the power to do this comes from outside yourself. And when you lean on him and his life works through you, you, you'll make 10 times the distance with hardly any of the effort that you used to try killing yourself in the rowboat. I believe kingdom is the answer to that. And so I'm gonna do something that I'm really not used to doing. I, 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 I Normally, as you know, I've been here, this is my sixth revival and in your church. Y'all are gluttons for punishment. And uh, normally I take a verse and I work verse by verse, line by line, expository preaching, and I believe that's the way it ought to be done. But when I was in seminary, we had two kinds of classes. We had classes where we went through books line by line, like First and Second Corinthians or, 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 or the Old Testament prophets, and, and we studied those books. But we also had another class called systematic theology. And that systematic theology class is just as valuable. It wasn't verse by verse. It was topic by topic, where you got a larger frame of a concept that was key to understanding your faith, but taken from different places in Scripture. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to do a little systematic theology around kingdom, and I want you to look at the screen because our key verses are going to be on the screen tonight as we discuss the kingdom of God, getting in on the only thing that God is doing. So let's go to the Lord together in prayer right now and ask for his favor. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. We thank you that, that our past is gone, that our sins are forgiven, that our old man is buried, and that we have a new life in Jesus. Lord, we are inundated, overwhelmed with the world and its craziness. The insanity of the day is intimidating, much less concerning. Father, we are reminded, Lord, that we are your people. We are are your lights in a dark night. We are, are your chosen and royal priesthood in an unholy place. So, Lord, I pray that you would revive us and that you would equip us and that you would challenge us and speak to us and convict us. Lord, I pray as a result that your work and your purposes would be accomplished through us, even more so, Lord, as a result of these meetings we have together this week. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said you know, I always do try to pray before I preach. And one time this little girl came up to me after service. She said, brother, Scott. I said, yes. She said, how come you always bow your head before you preach? I said, well, I'm asking the Lord to help me preach the sermon. She said, then why don't he? But, but anyway, we'll just. We're gonna talk about the kingdom of God. And, and what I wanna do right now is with God's help, I wanna, I wanna put a, a verse on the screen. We're gonna read this verse out loud. It is, a, it is, a, it is the paradigm frame verse for the entire concept of kingdom. And to the degree that you press your life through this verse, it'll set you apart from most believers in America today. To the degree that you press this church and its ministries through this verse, it'll set your church apart from most churches on most street corners across this country. To the degree that this verse influences your family, your family, your marriage, your parenting, the harmony in your home will be set apart from most that are enduring just another statistic realm outside of this verse. It is a key verse. It's foundational, and I want us to read it out loud together. Let's read it. The Lord has established his throne. Now, I didn't come all the way from Atlanta, Georgia to hear myself read out loud. <laughs> all right, so we, there's a whole lot of you, and there's only one of me, so let's all do it together, good and loud. Come on, you ready? And go. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Read it again. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty good right there. Amen. Folks, that ain't about to happen. That ain't waiting to happen. Something ain't got to happen before that starts to happen. That has always been, and it is still true today. Amen. Listen, you could, have, you, could have, you could have pandemics in the populace. You could have crazy in the culture. You could have a tyrant in the White House, and God is not one square inch moved off his Throne, he's ruling in this universe even tonight. Our God is on his throne. Amen. You ought to be worried no longer. You ought to be fearful no longer. You ought to be fretful no longer. Then it takes that thought to get into your mind. Our God reigns. He reigns. I'm glad I'm in the kingdom, and I'm glad he's the king. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, the kingdom is the only thing God is up to. So you can't get in on God's plan and will for your family. You can't get in on God's plan and will for your business. You can't get in on God's plan and will for your marriage if you don't understand what God's up to and how he works. But what I want you to understand is the only thing God is doing in the world is kingdom. The kingdom has everything he's doing. The kingdom is the only thing God is doing. Remember, the, remember this study called, somebody handed me a book the other day. It said, Scott, we had an extra, here it is, for, at the Georgia Baptist. It was, it was Blackabees Experiencing God. Do you remember that study? How many of y'all have been through experiencing God? Let me sum it up for you. Here, here's, the whole, here's the whole study. Instead of saying, God, I'm doing this thing over here, so why don't you come bless what I'm doing? Instead, you find out what God's already blessing where he's already working and get in on that because that's already blessed. Let me tell you something, man. The kingdom is the only thing God's doing, and the kingdom is the only thing God is blessing. So we better understand kingdom, learn kingdom, discern kingdom if we're going to get in on anything God has for us and what he's up to right now. Otherwise, to go against that is to fight God himself, and I don't want to be on that side. So, so let's talk about the kingdom, what it is. Where did Jesus put kingdom in his own ministry? Watch this. It was the first announcement of his earthly ministry. Jesus said in Mark 4, 1.14, when he finally started preaching at the age of 33, he, 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 he said, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe. It was the first announcement of his ministry. Not only that, but it was the first priority per his own command. He told his disciples, seek first, not second. Seek first, not fifth. Seek first, not later. Seek first, not after you retire. Seek first, not after you save enough money. Seek first, not when you feel trained or adequate. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. Not only that, but watch this. The, the disciples one time said, Jesus, apparently you got this praying thing down. So I got an idea. Why don't you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, all right, Yeah, Jesus said, All right. He's he's from southern Jerusalem. (laughs) No. Jesus said, All right, when you pray, pray like this. And the first request in the model prayer is about kingdom. What did he say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So understand, let me tell you something, man. Whatever Jesus puts first, Satan wants anywhere but first. Listen, he's been fighting kingdom ever since Jesus ascended to the right hand of God. Now, look you look where Jesus put put kingdom in his ministry. Do you know, as I'm rereading church history right now as a part of my study, that by the end of the second century, kingdom was already virtually gone from the language of God's people. As a matter of fact, the three historical creeds, the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Apostles' Creed, only one of the three even mentions kingdom in spite of what Jesus said about it in his own ministry. You know why? Because a satanic attack has been against kingdom of God in the church, and that is why I didn't hear more about it in the church growing up. That is why I didn't hear more about it in seminary class. We didn't talk much about the kingdom of God. So Satan understands why. Listen, if he can pull that thread, then God's plan for the church will begin to unravel because Satan wants the church plugged into anything except the kingdom of God. So as a result, don't miss this, regardless of what you think, the wisest, strongest, most powerful man to ever walk this planet, Jesus, made kingdom his primary message. Noted. Now, let's talk about the concept of kingdom. Why does God talk about kingdom? Well, first of all, because he's a king. God talks about kingdom because he's a king. The Bible says in Psalm 24, lift up your heads O your gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, so you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. He is the king of glory. I've got good news. In 2023, he's still the king of glory. He's a king. Now, God is king, so he talks about kingdom. The reason we talk about kingdom is because God's a king. But not only that, Jesus is king. Scott, do you believe in the Trinity? Yes, I do. Why? Because the Bible teaches it. The Bible says in the beginning, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things were created by him, and the word became flesh, and his name was Jesus. Listen, Jesus is king because God is king, and Jesus is God. Not only that, he talks about his government. Colossians 1, verse 16, for in him, that's Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth visible and invisible or the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him i want to tell you something friend there is listen jesus answers to no regime jesus answers to no government jesus answers to no administration they are all answerable ultimately to him because he made them all amen Listen, he's not under anything because he's over everything. Everything is an extension of his very hand in creation. He made them all. And before God invaded the earth in a manger, before the first Christmas ever occurred, it was prophesied about the kingship of Jesus. It is the most Trinitarian verse in the Bible. It's in Isaiah chapter 6, nine, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he shall be called wonderful he'll see the child shall be called mighty god everlasting father prince of peace listen jesus is king because god is king and jesus is god but don't miss this the government shall be on his shoulders listen we can't understand how the universe operates if we don't understand the government by which God governs and rules and runs everything that he made. So we're going to talk about that tonight and a little bit even more tomorrow night. But don't miss it. Jesus. Is, by the way, the kingdom is not just what was. The kingdom is not just now. The kingdom is where everything is headed. The Bible says in Revelation at the end, Revelation 11, 15, the, kingdom of this wor- the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Messiah, and he shall reign forever ever and ever, can I get an amen? Now, let's make sure we're thinking about this the right way. So let's talk about the concept of kingdom a little bit more. First of all, the kingdom is not a republic. If you read the Bible through the lens of democracy, you'll miss the kingdom. Why? Because the king is king, he's not prime minister. The king is a king. He's not the president. Honey, you didn't vote him in, and you can't vote him out. He is not vulnerable to an election process that can be rigged by man nor machine. God is king. Satan is not. God is king. Joe Biden is not. As a matter of fact, he's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. Understand it's a kingdom, not a republic. Not only that, in a kingdom, listen, The will and the intent of the king becomes policy. In other words, in a kingdom, the laws of the land do not emanate from a parliament or legislature. They come from the heart and the mind of the king. In a kingdom, there is no distance between the will of the king and the laws of the land. They are a manifestation of what he wants to show up in the kingdom. In other words, honey, it's based on who he is. We don't get a vote. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Not because God's arbitrary and made it up. Right is right because of who God is. Wrong is wrong because of who God is. And in 2,000 years since the Bible was written, God has not changed his mind because he has not changed his character. Amen. So the kingdom is not a republic. Not only that, but the kingdom is not a religion. Jesus never started a religion, nor did he join one. He was called a rabbi, but he did not call himself that. Jesus did not join the highest religious order of his day, the Sanhedrin. As a matter of fact, Jesus saw himself as a king, not a religious leader. That's why when the Sanhedrin, apprehended him, and brought him in for a trial, he would not answer their questions. Why? Wrong courtroom. He was a king. This was a religious trial. He was not a religious man. It wasn't until Caiaphas adjudicated him by God that he answered them at all. How about this? However, Pilate got his questions answered immediately by Jesus. Why? Because Pilate understood kingdom. He asked the kingdom question. Are you a king? And Jesus said, it is true. Matter of fact, Jesus elaborated on his answer. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom's coming to this world, but it's not of this world. If it was of this world, my followers would be setting me free right now, coming to break me out. My kingdom's not of this world, but yeah, I'm, I'm a king, I'm a king. Listen, the number one opponents of Jesus in his agenda, were not sinners. The number one opponents of Jesus were the re- religious crowd, the Pharisees. It's about them that he said strong things like this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocritical, you, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves are not gonna enter and you will not let those who enter, uh, enter who are trying to. Jesus had strong language for the Pharisees. Now, keep in mind who they were. The the Pharisees walked around. They knew the Bible better than anybody. They had large portions of it memorized. Not only that, but they kept a little box strapped to their arm and a box strapped to the forehead with scriptures all inside. Man, listen, if anybody knew the Bible, it was the Pharisees. Listen, the Pharisees knew the Bible, but they still missed kingdom. Well, we ought to to take a, a lesson from that. I have people say to me, Brother Scott, I read my Bible cover to cover every single year. Yeah, well, you can run through a grocery store and still starve to death. <laughs> Amen. Listen, you, you're probably not going to know the Bible better than the Pharisees and they miss kingdom. Listen, Jesus, you know why Jesus had no, 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 no patience with them? Why? Here's why. Because religion produces a system. Kingdom produces culture. See, religion is designed to replace kingdom. Pharisees would be out there praying. Big prayers, long prayers. Everybody wanted to pray like Pharisees because they prayed the best, but they weren't getting their prayer the prayers answered. Here, here, here's a guy comes along to Jesus, gets his prayer answered immediately. Pharisees weren't getting their prayers answered. This dude comes up to Jesus, got his prayer answered in, instantly. Why? Because he came understanding kingdom. He wasn't even a Jew. You know who he was? He was a centurion. Remember that guy? He's like, Lord Jesus, I got a servant at home. They're dying. But I understand how this kingdom thing works. I understand authority. Matter of fact, you not only can heal my servant, you don't even have to go to my house. You just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Understanding kingdom made all the difference. So Jesus is not about a democracy or a republic, it's kingdom. He's not about a religion. He didn't start one or join one, much less perpetuate one. Now, Scott, understanding kingdom, what is kingdom doing in the world today? What are the goals and the methodologies of kingdom? And this is where we begin to get meaning for our family and our role as a husband or a mama, what we are up to about training our kids or why our church is sitting on the corner as a corner of hope. Now, let's talk about it, some analogies. When a kingdom wants to duplicate itself in another location, that's called colonization. One of the first mission trips that I ever took was to Haiti. How many of y'all, anybody ever been to Haiti? Well, you know, people say, boy, after that earthquake, man, Haiti's in a mess. Listen, I went to Haiti before the earthquake. It was already in a mess. Now, now what's ironic about Haiti is Haiti used to be a very rich country. It used to be called Santa Domingue. It was the richest colony in the history of France. And now it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Now now here's what's interesting. I, I realized really quick what was going on around French stuff when I got to Haiti and everybody speaking Creole, which was a derivative of French. Now how in the world did half an island of people adopt French culture 4,000 miles from France. Here's how. A long time ago, the king of France said, we want French culture, French morals, French values, French laws, French way of life to show up in the Caribbean. So they chose Haiti and they shipped culture from France there. So in Haiti, even to this day, there's still some residue of of France in Haiti. That's why they like wine and cheese, and they speak Creole, a derivative of French. I went to another place in the Caribbean one time, not on a mission trip, but just with my wife to have a good time. It was called the Bahamas. Anybody ever been to the Bahamas? Any Bahama mamas up in here? And so here, I went to the, so I, you know, I'd been to Haiti. Now I'm going back to the Caribbean. There's the Bahamas. Everybody spoke English. Not just English. They spoke the king's English. And they, they have English laws. They reflect parliamentarian law and persecution. Why? Because a long time ago, the king of England said, we want English culture to show up on those islands. And so they duplicated English culture there through colonization. And that is why when you go to the Bahamas, they know English history. They speak English. They drive on the wrong side of the road and they drink tea four times a day. English culture. God is wanting to ship the culture of heaven to earth. He wants his will, his ways, his lifestyle, his morals to show up in the universe that he has made specifically on this planet. And so what he's doing is, he's bringing heaven to earth through his people. You know, I got to read in the Bible, there's a whole lot more about bringing heaven here than us going to heaven. There's a lot more verses on bringing heaven here than us going to heaven. Now listen, I, I understand what we've got this concept of heaven in our minds, you know, like there's this cloud and a little Disney castle on it, and it's really cute and sweet, and God's up there. And that's nice, and I understand that, nothing wrong with that, but understand that the Bible says one day this heaven and earth is going to be melted with fervent heat. It's going to replace by, be replaced by a new earth, kind of get a witness, and it's going to have the new Jerusalem over it. That's going to happen right here, where we're going to co-rule and co-reign with Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. The Word has a lot more more to say about getting heaven here than us getting to heaven. And so as a result, what is God doing? God started the process by shipping heaven's culture through your life. We'll talk about how that works. Now, if you go to the, how many of y'all have ever been to Williamsburg, Virginia? Anybody? Williamsburg? Williamsburg is a historical place to visit, right? About early America, when we were just colonies. You know, we remember before we were a nation, we were just, we were colonies, we were 13 original colonies. I'm from Georgia, which was a prisoner refugee colony. A lot of us are descendants of them, which explains a lot. And, uh, and uh, those colonies had a capital in Williamsburg. And, and so, and so what, what was happening in America? Well, English culture was being set up here. If you go to Williamsburg and you tour uh, historical Williamsburg, you'll find that all the people that are in character pretend It is 1774, and they will not break character as they engage with you in a dialogue, and they will argue with you, they'll debate with you about whether there ought to be an American Revolution and independence from England. It's quite fascinating. One of the first buildings that you will tour is the governor's mansion. The governor's mansion. Now, who lived in the governor's mansion in Virginia? Listen, not a Virginian. A Brit lived in the governor's mansion. Somebody who was born into, raised up in, and was dripping with English culture, who had delegated authority to live in the colony among the people to enforce and make sure that the will of the king was showing up in the lifestyle of the land. Are y'all with me? Listen, Jesus said, I'm about to go back to headquarters. I'm going back to King, the king sitting at his right hand but I'm going to send another of the same kind. And he's going to dwell in you as the governor. His name is the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. He's going to enforce in your heart and mind. He's going to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That is the heart and the mind and the will of the king. When you get away from heaven's culture, when you get away from the heart of the king, when you get away from the king's agenda, then all of a sudden, like a referee, he blows the whistle. So you'll get back in line because he's got the authority to do that. If anybody understands heaven's culture, it is the Holy Spirit living inside of you to enforce that culture in us. Can I get a thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit of God? The Spirit of God dwells inside of us. Now, why is God doing all this? Well, he told us in his word. His intent is to fill the earth with heaven's culture. And he tells us the extent. It's in Habakkuk 2.14. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the sea, but there's water everywhere. God says, that is the extent that my agenda is on track to reach. My glory everywhere. Now, what does he mean by glory? Glory, we we, we use the word the glory of God. It means the, 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 the full expression of the goodness of a thing. We often use the word majesty, the glory of God, the majesty of God. Sometimes it's translated meaning the full weight of a thing. about this guy one time that hated flying? He'd never flown before. He's nervous, scared to death to fly. But he took a business trip, had to fly. So he gets off after the plane ride. He gets off on the other side there and his wife's calling him immediately. Honey, I'm so worried about you. I know you've always been scared to fly. How was the trip? Are you okay? What do you think about flying? Have you changed your mind? He's like, honey, I I still don't like flying. I, I, I dread the flight back home. I can't tell you how much. I just don't trust airplanes The ride was okay, but I never did put my full weight down. (laughs) Hey, listen, man. God wants to put his full weight down in your life. He wants to put his glory, his full the full weight of his glory in your life. He wants to put his full weight down in your marriage, his full weight down in what you do with your time and what you do with your hands and what comes out of your mouth and what's on your face. God wants to put his glory in your life. He wants to send it through the earth to the ends of the earth as the waters cover the sea. And as he's doing that, he's doing that through the lives and the hearts and the words and the lifestyle and the choices of his own people. Amen. As a matter of fact, that brings me kind of to my next point. A kingdom doesn't colonize with the natives. It sends its own citizens. So when England wanted to colonize the Bahamas, it didn't colonize with the natives. It sent people from England with English culture to replicate in the colony. Are y'all with me? Same for Haiti. French king, they sent French people to replicate. Listen, kingdom doesn't colonize with its own, with the natives, but it sends its own citizens. Now, God's in a little bit of a quandary because he can't colonize like that. I mean, what's he going to do, send angels? He's just going to send angels down into the earth and and they're going to replicate heaven's culture? Mm -mm. He still needs to colonize with his own citizens. So how does he do that? Well, remember remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? And he got to ask questions. He didn't want anybody to see him. He was a Pharisee, so he had to be sneaky about it. And so he got in there and he got talking about Jesus. What, what, what topic did he bring up? Kingdom. He said, Jesus, you keep preaching about kingdom. I want to know about the kingdom. I, I want to be able to see the kingdom. Jesus said, you can't even see it unless, watch this, you are born again. Matter of fact, in the cousin scripture to that same verse, he said, unless you're born from above. So listen, God is still able to colonize the earth with heaven's citizens because God is making citizens out of the natives of the earth. We were born children of the devil. He's making us child of God. Only those who believed on his name were able to become children of God. At the same time, he makes us a citizen of heaven, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Amen. Every time. Listen, folks, I'm telling you, God is getting heaven into earth. God is shipping his lifestyle, his choices, his will, his morals, his intent, his yes and no's, his rights and wrongs through a people that are citizens of his heaven. Do you understand that God is populating the earth with heaven's own? Citizens, every time he saves a soul. Amen. Prayer is the colon in colonization. The colon. I mean, come on, Greg, the colon. How do you get what's in the head down to the bottom? Colon. And prayer is how you do that. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. What was it? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done right here. Listen to me. Carbon copy like it is in heaven. So listen, what does that mean? If you ain't praying, you ain't colonizing. You know, that's why the devil fights your prayer life. Because prayer is the colon in colonization. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to undermine and disrupt kingdom. So he tries to keep you from praying. Have you ever noticed, if you want to go golfing, have at it. You want to play a video game? No big deal. Sit down and eat a meal. Go watch a movie, Netflix, binge, any of that. The skids are greased, man. You got no objection, no hindrance. But if you decide you're going to sit down and pray, All of a sudden, doors start slamming and dogs start barking and babies are crying. Ain't even none in the house. Just babies crying somewhere. I don't know. Just sirens going. Am I right? Satan will do everything he can to keep you out of the prayer call. Why? Because prayer is the colon. So listen, we'll get a lot more prayers answered if we pray with kingdom in mind. Listen, even praying that lost people get saved. I'm praying my friend R.C. gets saved. He called me last week, the other night, just wanted to talk. Something broke in his life. I hate that something broke in his life, but I know this, every time something breaks in his life, he gets a little more open to the gospel. Now Why am I praying for R.C. to be saved? Well, because if I get to heaven, he ain't there, I'll be real sad. Wrong. Now, that's my tendency. I want to go to heaven and see R.C. there. For me? What about this? What if I pray for R.C. to be saved? Because, Lord, if you save R.C., then your glory will show up in his life. And he lives in Seattle, A godless place. And so Lord, if your glory shows up in his life, he'll become a conduit for heaven to get shipped through his life into this earth. And they'll see him at the workplace. And his kids will see your glory. And they might get saved and give their heart to Jesus. And so your glory will spread a little bit more as he becomes a walking representation of what heaven looks like in the earth as the governor of the Holy Spirit lives inside, teaching him right from wrong as it takes him to the word and in prayer. And your kingdom will be established, replicated by another believer that you saved and turned into a citizen of heaven here in the earth. Amen. That's how I want to pray. Instead of praying, Lord, I want you to fix this problem. Why? Because this problem bothers me. It's inconvenient. It's taking too much money and time. So Lord, solve this problem so I'll be happier. No. Lord, I'm really distracted from kingdom right now. And so Lord, if you'll solve this problem in my life, it'll free up time, effort, energy, and emotional resources to get back to doing kingdom work. So Lord, I pray you'd fix the problem so that your kingdom would be more advanced in my life. See how that is? We get more prayers answered when we pray and have on our heart what God already has on his. Because the kingdom is the only thing he's up to. So, so, so let me give you this, let me give you this. I'm gonna put a definition of kingdom on the screen and I want us to read it out loud together based on everything I've shared. Let's read it together. Kingdom, the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his will, his purpose, and his intention, producing a citizenry of people who reflect his values, intent, nature, morality, and lifestyle. Now does this reflect what we've talked about? Yes. That's kingdom. But you could say that's any kingdom. Any kingdom that's up to colonization, you could define it that way, okay? God's kingdom is a bit different than this in two distinct ways. Here's how God's kingdom is different. Number one, in God's kingdom, citizenship delivers kinship. In other words, when Jesus stepped on the scene, he did the thing that could never have imagined he'd do. He stepped on the scene and said, guess what? When you petition the king, you no longer have to say, oh king, you get to say our father. Boy, that's a big deal. That was a paradigm shift. That was a completely different defined definition as far as what it means to petition the king and relate to the king. You relate to him as his Child, listen, when Jesus stepped up and said, you get to call God Abba, you get to call God Daddy, you get to call God Father, that was anathema. They'd never heard that. That's like bringing a ham sandwich to a Jewish picnic. That was like putting a screen door in a submarine. That was like bringing a football to an ACC school. All right, anyway, so. I'm sorry, go dogs. two times. Okay, so citizenship in God's kingdom delivers kinship. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that I get to call the king my father. Not only that, but in God's kingdom, totalitarianism delivers freedom. Freedom. The kids, listen to me. Students, listen to me. Don't be distracted right now. This is important. Matter of fact, I'm about to give you some stuff on the screen in just a minute that'll make sense out of the world you're in, but will also give you a secret key that your friends and peers don't have that causes so much depression, confusion, and frustration in their lives. So don't be distracted here, don't let the enemy get in. In God's kingdom, it's different because totalitarianism delivers freedom. In other words, listen, this is why a lot of people haven't got saved yet, because they're afraid that if they get saved, God will take over every square inch of their life and they'll lose. But the the irony is, yes, when you get saved, not only does God take over every square inch of your life and more than you expected, but in the process, you win. Why, why, here's why, watch this. Because the more you surrender to God's rule, the more free you become. Because God's rules are the way the world is supposed to work. So when you work against the way God designed the world to work, life doesn't work. That's why when they go to change their gender, and not one person speaks against it, but everybody who's making money off it says, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. That not only solves the problem, but increases the suicide rate on the other, other side 50-fold. Because they're only deeper into gutting, cutting against the way God set up the world to work. Do you understand? Listen to me. God has so much wisdom baked in his world. Here's what he did. We got the Bible and what he made. He made the universe, and then he gave us the word of God. You got the product and the manufacturer's instructions. And life works better when you use it according to the manufacturer's instructions. If you go against that, your life will fall apart. Listen, ask any psychiatrist, do you know this, do you know this, the kingdom principles form the foundation of optimal physical health. We'll say that again, made the baby cry. Kingdom principles forms the foundation of good physical health. You ask any psychologist, you ask them, what are the toxic emotions that lead to declining physical health? How many of y'all emotions can ruin your health? Emotions, bad emotions, am I right? You, you, listen, something hits you hard enough in your life, you get emotional, you sink, you feel it, don't you? And over time, the doctor says, now I see it. And it might be chronic, it might mean the end of your life. You talk to a psychologist, and say, what are the toxic emotions that lead to declining health? Here's what they say. Worry, bitterness and unforgiveness, fear. Listen, the very things that the Word of God teaches us how to avoid and how to get out of. If we just do what the Word of God says, our life will tend to be more healthy in the physical realm. Listen, we say this wrongly, wrongly, wrongly. We say If a man does what's natural, he'll sin. Wrong. Sin is unnatural. The natural state of a thing is the way that thing was created to be. And God created man in the natural, right with God, right with his environment, and right with each other. It wasn't until the unnatural corrupted the natural. Sin came in. Sin is unnatural. Sin is the corruption. The only way we can talk about sin as being a corruption is because it's that. The less than ideal came in and corrupted the ideal. Sin is a corruption. It's an aberration. So sin is not the natural way man is. It is the unnatural way that man has become. See, I want you to think about this. We say, if I just do what's natural, I'll sin. Have you noticed that when you sin and you know you sin, you feel like you've moved away from something. And when you pivot and you go back and do the right thing, you feel like you've come back home, am I right? Sin is unnatural. Now here, here's why we say things like, "Well, if I just do what's natural, I'll sin. You can, you can naturalize the unnatural. You can normalize the abnormal so that the abnormal feels more comfortable than the natural heard about a pastor one time that everywhere he went, he rode his bike, and his bike was an old bike he'd got, got from somebody and he had crooked handlebars. Everywhere he rode the bike, crooked handlebars, crooked handlebars. Everywhere he got to feeling bad, he thought, man, I need to fix those handlebars. So he fixed the handlebars, and now he kept falling off the bike. <laughs> he had just gotten used to riding with crooked handlebars. I heard about a third-world country in a large inner city that built brand new bathrooms for the homeless population. Brand new. And when they finished the, the brand new bathrooms, the homeless people wouldn't use them. And when the news interviewed them and said, why not? They said, because they're too clean. They remind us of the hospital. And they kept using the old ones. Is that not a picture of our country right now? Listen, we're, we're sitting in churches, your pastor's standing up and literally dishing out of the word of God the very cures for every single thing that our nation is facing today is a problem. We have got the answers. Yet yeah, they're going to dive into deeper and deeper crazy because they've been given over to a reprobate mind and the kingdom of God makes no sense to them. And literally, literally, the kingdom of God is exactly how the God intended the world to work. E. Stanley Jones, one of the greatest preachers on kingdom. He was a Methodist preacher. You can still find videos online. He, he died years ago. He was preaching in India on the kingdom. And when he finished preaching, an Indian dignitary came up to him and said, well, the, the principles of the kingdom are nice, but I'm not ready to build my life on them. To which East Stanley Jones replied, well, then if what you're doing is so much better, why not just do it with the stops out? He said, what? Yeah, why not just go all in if what you're doing is so much better? He said, what do you mean? He said, go, just, why don't you for a week, for a week, just make Every word unchristian, make every conversation unchristian, make every situation, every transaction unchristian, treat every relationship in an unchristian way. And the Indian dignitary replied and he said, No, I wouldn't do that. He said, Why not? He said, Because it'd never work. He said, By the end of the week, if someone hadn't shot me, somebody hadn't shot me by then, I'd probably shoot myself. And East Stanley Jones said, Exactly. As a matter of fact, the only reason you might last a week at all is because evil, like a parasite, rides on the back of the context of good men who allow it to last that long anyway. Folks, listen to me. Sin is unnatural. We've just normalized the abnormal and we're getting better at it. Fact to the matter is, right is still right and wrong is still wrong. And what would bless you then will still bless you now. And what would curse you then will still curse you now. And at the end of it all, at the end of it all, it isn't about about sex and sexuality and gender and and money and greed. It's it's really about this. It's about who is going to be king. And whose kingdom are you going to live by? And I'm telling you, the maker of this universe is the king of this universe, and his kingdom principles are the way the world is supposed to work. It's how God designed it. But Vance Havner was right. We've been subnormal so long. If we ever get normal, it'll seem abnormal. You say, I don't like what you're saying. I don't like this God is king. I don't don't like kingdom rules. Let me tell you something, man. That is a fight you will lose. That's that's like saying, I don't like gravity. Gravity is inconvenient. Gravity is is too restricting. Gravity is old-fashioned inside today. I refuse to submit to the law of gravity. <laughs> Trust me, your life will go a lot better to the degree you embrace the reality of gravity. You say, I don't like kingdom rules, I don't like the way God said it. I don't like that God is king. Listen, that is a fight you'll lose. So you may as well surrender now and let life get better and life get good. Because it's a blessed life when you're in alignment with kingdom principles that emanate from the heart of the king. Like my mentor says, it is the knowledge of and the obedience to the word of God that brings the best for every area of your life. Life will always reinforce, sooner or later, it will reinforce that. Well, times have changed. That's all that's changed. We're not smarter than God. I'm gonna say that again so you all didn't hear me. We're not smarter than God. The only thing that all this experimentation is gonna end up in is just a reinforcement of one thing, that he was first and right from the beginning. About who man is, about who woman is, about what kids are, about what all this is about and about how society and the world ought to function. It is his kingdom. Now, with this in mind, let's have a definition of God's kingdom with those baked in. All right, ready? Let's read it. What is the kingdom of God? God's sovereign plan to be duly glorified by delivering the culture of heaven to earth, impacting the world with his will, his purpose, and his intention through the citizenry of his redeemed family who respect or reflect his values, intent, nature, morality, and lifestyle, or culture. And that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow night. Because what we're seeing today is the battle of the cultures. And the kingdom has something to say about each of them whether it's cancel culture or color culture. I can keep going. Come back tomorrow night, and we'll talk about what that looks like. Let me ask you a question. Is this helping anybody? Folks, do do you see how if you wear these glasses or you don't wear these glasses, it makes all the difference? Because listen, if you don't see life the way it ought to be seen, then you won't live life the way it ought to be lived. So here's the question to wrap this up. Tonight, here's the question: How does the kingdom come? How does, Brother Scott? Jesus said, "Pray thy kingdom come. Thy will be done." How does the kingdom come? And here's the answer: The kingdom comes the way it came. National Geographic did a, a story on this, around this big conference that was happening that was celebrating Mary, the mother of Jesus, Catholic conference. National Geographic does this story, and the key question of the article was, what made Mary, a Middle Eastern woman, the most powerful woman in history? What made Mary, mother of Jesus, the most powerful and influential woman in history? Now, 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 Baptists have sort of run from looking at Mary too closely because Catholics do that, and we don't want to venerate Mary as if she's a deity like the Catholics tend to do, and so we've kind of eschewed a lot of that, and as a result, we've missed some great lessons about kingdom in Mary's life. What, what made Mary the most influential woman in history? And, and, and the, the, the conclusion of the article was, well, we guess it was just a miracle but we know more. Do you remember the story? Here's, G, here's, here's Mary. She's engaged. Won't be married for nearly a year. She's minding her own business, working in the field, and an angel shows up. She's a Middle Eastern teenage female. She, angel looks at her, says, Mary, you are fitting to get pregnant. Yeah, that angel was thug, man. You think to get pregnant. Now, now what was her response? Oh, how sweet. No. <laughs> it was more like, what? Excuse me? Because the angel is using language that says, you're imminently pregnant. And she's like, I've never been with a man. I, I, I'm engaged, but we won't be married for a while. I've never been. How's this? Listen, listen. God says, you're about to get pregnant. Listen, if God says you're to get pregnant, you don't have to have a man within 500 miles. God said, you're about to be pregnant with the son of the living God, Emmanuel, Jesus. And what made the difference was her next statement. And it's the answer to what's on this slide. What's her next words? Be it unto me as you have said. In other words, yes. Not well. I've got to understand it. Tell me more. Work it out. Send me the plan. No, just yes, yes, yes. And that's how kingdom comes. Listen, when God is knocking on your doors the heart of your the door of your heart and he's he's asking you to go and take a faith step in a direction you've not done before when God is coming to you and saying, look, the word of God says, if you have ought against your brother first, go make it right with your brother before you bring your gift to the altar. And you gotta go ask for that apology. When God brings it up and says, look, you've gotta spend more time with your family. It's not all about money. Would you start trusting me instead of your bank account? When God brings that up and he's, he's knocking on your door, he's saying, I want you to share Jesus with your neighbor. I want you to text a video of the gospel to that friend and have lunch with him. I want you to start engaging in gospel, whatever it is. When God shows up in that snarky, listen, that is kingdom asking to come through your life. You understand, God wants us pregnant with kingdom. He wants to birth heaven's culture through our very lives. And that is why, to the degree that I choose my way over his way my agenda over his agenda or I hang on to my that I know is sin and I don't repent unto God I'm literally in the category of the devil himself fighting all that literally fighting the glory of God in my life how does the kingdom come the same way it came yes Lord Be it unto me as you have said. Amen. Let's stand together.